Nehemiah has been a great study for us. The focus of Nehemiah was, and the, the book of the Older Testament that bears his name reminds us of this, that his entire focus was to see a wall built in the city of Jerusalem, to see those walls that had been destroyed for generations, a couple of, of generations had never known what it was like to live in security. Nehemiah had a passion and a burden, and, he, and we've been watching and learning how he brought that vision to place and how that building project of the walls, which meant so much to that ancient city, were completed under his leadership, and what a victory that was. Well, by the time we come to the eighth chapter, you know, not only are we aware of the fact that in a similar way, God wants to build things in you and me. I mean, that's been a big part of our, our discussion, hasn't it? Just like the walls of Jerusalem were, were a representation with the rubble and that people were having to live with and the continual vulnerability that they, that they experienced, that we were talking about how, how God's will for us is not to live in that kind of vulnerability, sort of defined by the rubble of our past how the will of God is for all of us to build something of health and wholeness so that the blessings that he pours into us can actually be contained and begin to produce sometimes slowly, sometimes more rapidly, but a growing life that reflects something of the goodness of God and that even the areas that have been most damaged, that those places in our lives actually start to become over time testimonies to God's grace as we watch with amazement as those walls of health are built up in us. That's what happens when we stay with things. Now, one of the things that's pretty clear is that as we come to this eighth chapter, which will be our concluding word, we come here, there has been the accomplishment of the building of the walls, the restoration of the gates. Nehemiah is, you know, obviously overjoyed about it. But, and, and, and what's more, there was something else that was happening. People re, were coming back to Jerusalem to resettle the city. And they had set up a new administration. At this time, Nehemiah is officially the governor. So he has a public office. He has a public role. He really is more representative of people who want to honor God in the marketplace or at a social level. But he also recognizes, along with a friend of his, a man named Ezra. And in the Bible, the book of Ezra precedes the book of Nehemiah. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. That's the spot where the book is. And in that, Ezra was a scribe. He was a master of the law. He was a religious leader of the people. And Nehemiah and Ezra both recognized that although there had been an economic breakthrough, and even though there had been the completion of an amazing project and a real blessing on the people and a restoration of government, that Jerusalem was thriving in so many ways, that there was one area of their national life that was suffering, and it was their spiritual life. As a people... They had, they had a, a kind of spiritual vacuum. And Nehemiah had a burden, along with Ezra, to see that addressed. And that sets up the eighth chapter. And as we're going to see, there's a beautiful meshing together of the ending of Nehemiah as we're looking at him and the, and the coming together of this sort of Christmas moment for us. So let's look at it, and uh, we'll kind of move through the passage. It says, Now all the people gathered together as one man, in the, uh, in the open square that was in front of the Watergate. It's often called the revival at Watergate by Bible teachers. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. And, and so they had a large gathering of all the people in an open square by the Watergate. And there, for the first time in years, generations even, they had a public reading, a service, centered around the reading of God's word. A word that for the most part had been forgotten as part of the national life of the people. 
And so it says that Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding. That would be those who were the children who were old enough to comprehend and the younger adults. All right? So that, that bracket of people um, who could understand. And they all came together on the first day of the seventh month. Now, we read that and we go, okay, that's the first day of the seventh month. But that actually was a very important day, not just any day for them. The first day of the seventh month was what we would call their new year. It was the Jewish new year. It, it, it was the Feast of Trumpets. It was the day that it, later on it's translated as Rosh Hashanah, it, um, the head of the months. I mean, it was in their, in their time, that's where it was celebrated as the Feast of Trumpets. And it meant it was to be a special day. You know, many of the, the feasts and, and fest, festivals in the, in the Jewish calendar uh, were times of great joy and rejoicing, and this was meant to be one of them. But let's watch what happens. It says that on this, on this special day that he read from the scriptures in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they, you want to talk about a long service, all right? From morning until midday, all right? So I don't want to hear, okay, anyway. Before the, <laughs> before the men and women and those who could understand. So they had this amazingly long service, and all it says here, the people were just hungry. And all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. And it says that, that they just were listening and connecting. But it says that, so Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for this purpose. And I, and I don't know if you can see it, but this kind of, this passage here actually is sort of the, the beginning blueprint for what becomes what it ultimately today is a modern church service. It starts kind of right here with a platform being built and the sharing of the word. And what's more, you'll see here something else happens. Next to Ezra was a group of other leaders. And these spiritual leaders, these religious leaders, uh, also uh, were with him. And it says in verse 5, that when, and their names are mentioned, and when Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, because he was standing above the people, and in this case it says when they opened it, all the people stood up. And there are still some traditions of, of the church in the church where... Uh, people, when the scriptures are read, the congregation stands up for the reading. It goes all the way back to this example in Nehemiah. Not as much common in our culture today, but it was part, partly traced all the way back here. So a lot of interesting things are being traced back to this account with Nehemiah. But look what happens. He says, Ezra then um, blessed the Lord, the great God, and then all the people answered, and they said, amen and amen. That is, so be it. It is true. We accept it. Yes, Lord. So that is amen and amen. We agree with this word. While they were lifting up their hands and they had bowed their heads and they were worshiping the Lord, some of them had their faces to the ground. And then we're told something else remarkable happens. Again, you see some additional names that are referenced here, some additional individuals along with the Levites. What has it said they helped the people to do? They helped the people to understand the law. What they did was they, they, after the word was read, they broke up into what we would call breakout groups while people were still standing. And then in these breakout groups, you had discussion that was taking place about the words. And that is a really interesting thing because they were trying to help the people understand. Again, most people did not have familiarity with the scriptures. So when they're hearing it, some of it doesn't make sense. Well, they break out. They talk about it. They share around it. They start explaining it. Look at the way it's described here in verse 8. It says, so they read distinctly from the book and the law of God. And what do these, these teachers do? They gave the sense. They gave the sense. That is, they helped them understand the reading. So here's what this means. 
We're not sure, but what, what does he mean by, okay, this is a way to understand it, this way. I put uh, Nehemiah 8.8 up in a slightly more modern translation. I think it helps us with the sense, okay? It says this, that they read from the book of the law of God, notice that, and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. So they, pull, they break out and they start explaining the meaning for the understanding of the passages that are being shared. And now look at this. It says then, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and all the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, listen, listen, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Now, we don't want you to mourn or weep for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Now, what initially started out as, wow, this is great. You know, we're going to talk about God's law. And there probably initially there was joy. But what happens is they start watching. Nehemiah and Ezra and the leaders are watching what's happening as this is being discussed. And they're kind of watching this. And they're noticing that the people are getting more and more sad. In fact, some of them start just weeping openly. And what's happening is they are the people realizing all the things they weren't. They realized how far their ancestors, their fathers, mothers, grandfathers, grandmothers, great-grandparents, how their people had drifted away from the principles of God. And as they're listening to these words and working through them and discussing the meaning of what it means to be a a people of promise with God and how separation can come and they're processing it out and the commands that were given to them for the command of blessing, instead of feeling joy, they start weeping at all that they weren't. And Nehemiah and Ezra are watching this, and they say, no, 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 no. Don't do that. For all the people wept they, when they heard the words. It's like they were saying, don't, this day is holy. We don't want you weeping. And you know what's beautiful? It's like, boom, by the way, when we think of a holy day, think of, you know what that has become for us? Holiday really is holy day. It's just our version of it. It's a little different. But in reality, it's not so different. Because what they were saying is, listen, this is a holy day, so you can't be sad. The way God made it, he wants you to rejoice. Well, look what he says. He goes on to say this, verse 10. Nehemiah continued, listen, listen, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. Um, share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord, so don't be dejected and sad. Hey, this is a special sacred day. So we don't want you being dejected and sad, which so fascinates me because oftentimes when we think of the really spiritual among us, it is, of course, the most contrite, the most self-deprecating, you know, the most, right, you know. But you know what they're saying? No, this is such a special day before God. Don't do that. Let your heart, and most of the Jewish holidays, ironically, far from the God who was the great killjoy, were actually occasions where he was commanding them to have a great time and to enjoy one another in healthy, good life, not to feel sorry. There were a couple of them that were designed to get everybody to look inside and to, and to be aware of our own brokenness. But for the most part, most of the days that God wanted marked were designed to get people to remember how good God is and how wonderfully blessed we are. And Nehemiah and Ezra see this, and they go, listen, listen, don't weep like that. No, no, And then we get one of the great phrases in all the Bible, one of the most quoted phrases in the Older Testament. Nehemiah says, look, this is a sacred day before the Lord our God. And there it is. Don't be dejected and sad. And here's the phrase. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. 
the, that phrase comes from Nehemiah, who is telling the people who are internalizing all that they weren't, and he's saying, this is such a good day, set apart unto God. It's not a time for mourning over what we are not or how we went off track in the past. This is a time for rejoicing in what God is doing now. Let the joy of the Lord fill you. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. It's a great, awesome statement. And then look what it says here. And the Levites, too, quieted the people, telling them, hush, no, 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 don't weep, for this is a sacred day. And so the people went away to eat and drink at, festive, at a festive meal, to share gifts of food. Look what else, to celebrate with great joy because they heard God's words and they understood them. And this is awesome to me. And it's a reminder, again, I was looking at this and I was going, okay, a couple of months back, um, I was thinking about this moment. I was thinking about this ending of Nehemiah and how we, were, how we would be, all of us, beginning to make our way to Christmas. And I thought, wow, Lord, there's so much here that is connected and overlapping. There's so much here to help us think about, and I'm saying this, how we're to approach these next two weeks. There's so much here. If you think about it, and what I want to do is I want to blend what, Nehemiah was reminding the people to do with the opportunity that is before us at this Christmas time because there are people who have for generations, as many of us know, generations have set apart this season as a unique time. Uh, The birthday day itself is not the issue. It's the fact that we as a people mark the moment of our Savior's entry and what a significant value that is to us. Do you know that there are people who have for generations been doing this? And do, you, and do we realize that there are people all over the world, every corner, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, there are people moving their hearts towards a common moment of celebrating the coming of Messiah. And what a spe- that the idea is that we are not simply a ho- living in a hopeless, meaningless world where only darkness prevails, but that the light of God has come and he has entered into the human experience and he has changed everything. Now, just like, and I'm just kind of put this up, some similarities that are shared in these two pieces, Christmas and Nehemiah's account. Let me put this out. That just like they did at the Watergate, we also are to open ourselves up to receive, we'll just put this up, to receive God's word. That Christmas day, like the day that was celebrated by the people in Jerusalem, in Nehemiah's day, by the water gate, is also centered, notice this, on God's word, on the reception of God's word. When they were there, what were they doing? They were listening for the words of God. And the words of God that were coming to them, the word of God that was coming to them, was affecting their life. They were embracing that word. Well, in the same way, one of the interesting descriptions of Jesus, and some of us who've been kind of reading in those devotionals, We've already got it. But there's this moment in the book of John where, you know, he, the, the, the gospel of John is a unique gospel. Four books in the Bible talk about the life of Christ specifically, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's gospel is very unique. It was written in a slightly different angle. They all have a different angle of approach, but John's gospel hits, it, hits the birth of Christ, the coming of Christ, in a very different way. 
And when it opens up, it's like a curtain being pulled back. And instead of having a specific moment in Bethlehem, it sort of broadens out and reaches all the way back in time to the very genesis of the human experience and pulls God really from eternity into the present time frame. And he says this. He talks about how God in the beginning was God, and that word, he says, was with God. And he starts talking about it. And then he says this. He says that, you know, God, the word, became flesh, became a human being took upon himself humanity. That word became flesh and dwelt among us. Like God becomes one of us, reaches to us, comes into our human experience. God, the word becomes flesh, dwells among us. And, and it says this, and we beheld his glory. Just like they, in the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord rested on the tabernacle, the tent that, that the presence of God dwelt in. And he's saying that they carried with them as they made their way to the promised land. God, God says, now that the word, of the, the word of has come, right? And we beheld it. It's become flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the two sides of God. And it's a reminder that you and I, in the same way, are invited, as they did, are invited to embrace God's word, his, the coming of his word at this season. I mean, I love that. I mean, I was looking at it, and I was going, wow, that's so awesome, you know. You come this Christmas. We are invited to behold you in your glory, to rejoice in your grace and in your truth. We are also invited to receive, uh, how can I say it? Receive that word in the same way they did, with attentiveness and sincerity. They were, they were attentive and sincere. And this is the way that we also should embrace the living word, Jesus, who has come to us, the bread of life. You know, this idea that the Lord, you know, wants us to embrace him. You know, I was thinking about the Christmas carols. And they're all over the place. Every department store. I, I tell you, I actually think it's kind of cool. I know it's just background music. But I think it was kinda, I was walking through Macy's, and all of a sudden I'm listening, and I'm going, wow, that's like... Do you people realize the words that, that are being sung out here? You know? And, and, and things like, oh, little town of Bethlehem, where it talks about how we are to let Christ enter in, be born in us this day, do a new thing in us, oh, living God who has come. Or the, one of my favorites that we just sang, the piece of it earlier, you know, oh, come, let us adore him. That one, O Come All You Faithful. And I was thinking about O Come All You Faithful because it's one of the songs that we love to sing. We have a tradition in our candlelight services. We sing O Come All You Faithful as we head into the, the candlelight moment of our, of our service and it ultimately takes us towards silent night and everybody lights the candles. And it's this very special moment. But O Come All You Faithful is really connected to John 1, 14. It's, it's connected totally with the idea of, of embracing God's word. There's a verse in it. You know, it goes, oh, come, you know, oh, come, let us adore him. But then I put it in there, that third verse, in that memorable carol, right? Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning, Jesus to thee be all glory given. And it gets in that spot. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Right? There it is. Oh, come, let us adore him. It's the idea of welcoming in his word. I mean, that's awesome. It's what he wants us to do. I mean, the idea of embracing him at this time. And I think Christmas is intended to be, listen, a, a joyful time. This is my second piece here. 
that just like for the, for the people in Jerusalem, who they started thinking about all the things they were, and they were sad, and they were weeping. But remember, Christmas, and they, and they told them, don't do that. This is to be a time of great rejoicing for the joy. And you know what? So is this Christmas time. The celebration of Christ, Christmas, is intended to be a joyful thing. And we, are, we are really are invited to do it. I mean, I, I was thinking about this as well. You look at the, uh, the, sec, the other piece here. This is a, a portion of scripture that's always read around Christmas time. I think it's great. In fact, when I was but a lad, a little guy, many, 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 many years ago, on this stage, when our church, when I was growing up, was just a handful of us. I remember they marched me out as part of our Sunday school class onto this, this stage. It was not exactly like this, but I remember I, I had to read this, this passage, but I had to sort of try to memorize it. And they had dressed me up in a little shepherd suit. I remember that. <laughs> right here. My brother was next to me. Anyway, and it said that now there were, in, this is what we, we said, now there were in the same country shepherds living, living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were just terrified, greatly afraid. But then the angel said to them, listen, do not be afraid. Behold, this is not a time for fear. I, I'm telling you, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And it's not a time for anything other than good news and joy. That was the point. Now, I realize that Christmas time, and I was reading again in the devotion we handed out, one of the entries this last week was called Blue Christmas. And it was talking about how actually Christmas for some people is a really painful time. And I get that. I do. I'm not glossing that over. I realize for some people it represents a time of loss, a time of pain, a time of memory, a time of loneliness. And, you know, listen, I, I was also thinking about this. There will, how can I say it? There will always be, in this life of ours, there will always be reasons to, to justifiably not be joyful. Um, you know, I look at this and I go back to the celebration in Jerusalem. The people were, though, being reminded to not lament, but to choose to rejoice. And in fact, they were encouraged to do even more than just have an attitude change. They were told, we want you to really celebrate. We want you to eat and to drink, in their case, sweet drink and some of us, you know, let's just be careful. Whatever we do, we don't regret what we do because it's really important to not do things that would take away from the joy of celebration and what it was meant to be, to share in a meal and celebrate. To, what else did they do? They were told, not only do we want you to, to eat and, and, and drink in healthy and enjoyable ways, we want you to celebrate, but we want you to, to, to bless one another. We want you to give gifts. We want you to, to, to give gifts to those who are close, to those who don't have anything. Give, bless them, smile, laugh, have a great time. Let the love of God prevail. Joy the Lord, fill this place. It's just so awesome. And in the same way, Christmas is to be a time for celebrating, for eating, and for sharing, for giving gifts, for smiling and laughing and choosing to, to try to be as best as we can people who are entering into the joy of what has been given. I can put it this way. I know there's a lot of stuff wrong in this world. I was driving home, and my wife and I were talking, and I had been away for a few days. I really listened to the news, and I, I was listening on the radio, and I just, it was just one of those, it was just one thing 
after another, and I'm talking about ugly stuff, you know, murders and, and just, just garb bad molestations. And, and I was just listening, it was just like, oh, this is awful. And I was reminded of the darkness the Lord has entered into, how dark is the night that the light has come into. And no one should ever, don't ever tell me that we don't need a Savior. Because there are, yeah, we all have the capacity for amazing good. There's no question about it. But human beings as a whole also can do amazingly cruel things to one another. And and it almost astonishes me. And you know what? That is a sliver. And I've said this before. But it is but a sliver of what is really going on. And God sees it all. This world, and I'm talking about not all the world, into this place, the Lord comes. He comes softly. He comes humbly. He enters in, and he paves a way. And that way is a way of life in the midst. I love the symbols, light and life and all that's there. You know, I was thinking about it. This is, there's so much to be thankful for that is represented in the coming of Jesus. You know, someone, think about it this way. Someone this Christmas comes to us and says, you know, we just were thinking about you and we wanted to give you a gift. And, they, they, and, and someone says, here's this, this stunning gift, you know. They give, they, they, and we say, are you serious? And, and they go, yeah, yeah, just take it, you know. We had, we had this lying around, you know. Take this $100,000. It's yours, you know. <laughs> Yeah, right? I mean, I'm out there going, wow, can you believe it? You know, or, or for some of us, our, our team's going to the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, okay. Or I remember back, World Series Giants, right? Okay, oh, wow, wow. You know what's funny? I was in that parade, and I remember that because I got caught in the, in the mass, and I was trying to see, and so like Zacchaeus, I climbed up a pole. <laughs> But then I couldn't get down. And so here, what a, you had to see it. It was a really pathetic sight. Pastor Terry hanging on a pole for about an hour on that pole because I couldn't get down with just people everywhere rejoicing from afar. Anyway, you, yeah, I don't, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. It's a time for being. Filled with God's joy. Here's what I'm trying to get at. This is, this is something far more beautiful has been given to us. We get excited over some things. But the gift of Jesus, you can't buy it. He says, he who finds me is like one who finds the pearl of great price. They sell everything they have to own it. No money can compare. Do you understand what I'm saying? We get excited over certain things. We get joyful. Nothing better than Jesus. And he's ours. We celebrate it. We remember. We say thank you. We bless you, God. We open up our hearts and we say, Lord, there was no place for you, but there's place for you here. Come in, if you will. Dwell in me. I open my heart afresh to you. 
you think about it, well, someone say, well, I've got so many things going on in my life that aren't good. I know that may be true. He comes into, listen, loved ones, messy places. When he enters in, I like to say this every Christmas, he doesn't come into a palace. He comes into a manger in an, with an animal's trough. He comes into the messy place. And that is what God, so it's true. Some things may not be going well. Some things may be very bad. But at the end of the day, we get to decide if we're going to welcome the greatness and the goodness and the loveliness of who Jesus is and say, do you understand what we've been given? And it's not just the gift to the world. It's a gift to you and to me personally. My Jesus, my friend, my Savior, my Lord, my example, the path that I will follow, the way, the truth, and life. Hmm. Lastly, we'll say this, that Christmas is also a time that reminds us that the joy of the Lord is to be our strength. And what I mean by that is that we are to be a people filled with his joy, that there is to be an internal glow. I was looking at a fireplace. Um, I, I was just sitting there, and I was looking at the fire, and I was thinking about just certain things, a message and life, and I was looking at it, and I, was, I, was, and I saw the embers burning, and they were like really hot orange, and they were, I was just going, wow. I go, Lord, that's like what you want to do inside of me. You want to do this inside of us. You want us to burn with your joy and with your life. Because you know what? Joy is a gift that doesn't depend on what happens. Happiness depends on what happens. But joy sometimes comes like a gift, and it has nothing to do. In fact, it, it almost becomes incongruous with our experience. It almost defies what we should be experiencing. It almost comes to us like a gift that says, there, your joy, Lord, I welcome into my life. And how many of us know that those of us who would follow Jesus are called to live in his joy? That the joy of the Lord is to be our strength. It is to be like a burning ember inside of who we are that prevents us from falling too far. Sometimes it's those places of disappointment, those places of sadness, those places of loneliness, those places where some things have been crushed, that we find that the Lord is present right there with us. And his joy is a gift to us. I tell you this, there is never, I don't think there have been many people who have decided to come follow Jesus because somebody was walking around who claimed to represent him and looked so unjoyful that they said, oh, I can't wait to have what you have. Please give it to me. It's like, come on. People who, now, okay, hear me out. I'll just say it. People who claim to know him need to say, Lord, come into my heart. Remind me of how blessed I am to know you. What a gift of love I have been given. I choose to focus on the blessings that I have been given that are around me. I choose to shift my gaze. Help me, Lord, to hold on to hope. It, to live in Christ is to live in hope, always. Always. It is to live in hope. It is to say that I will choose to focus my heart towards optimism. I will not be defined by the negativity of my life. I will choose to be better, not bitter. In some cases, I will choose to be Better not bothered, because sometimes that's just as much of a challenge. And to say, Lord, in these next two weeks, I intentionally open up my heart towards you. I embrace your word. Help me to be thinking about you. Help me to be intentional about it. Help me to remember what a great gift I have been given. Help me to live with your joy. Help me to sit with your word. Help me to be invigorated by the life that you have to offer. I can always focus on what's wrong. 
but let the trumpets blare because Christ has come and life wins and love marches on and we're part of that story being written even now by God and it's too good to be kept to ourselves. Let's share it with others. God help us. Let me pray. Lord, I want to ask you to, to keep working in our lives in these next couple of weeks. You know, Lord, I know a lot of times stuff will come up. I just pray that we would really zero in our focus with a degree of intention and just say, Lord, I want to be so open and pliable to you. I want to be a people who receive your word and I want to choose to live in the strength of your joy. And maybe it just means saying something as simple as, Lord, I just welcome your joy to come into my life. Help me, Lord, again. There are things happening. I can't control them. But what I can decide is my own heart towards you, and I pray to let it be open. I know, Lord, sometimes the struggles that are hardest to get past are the ones inside of us. But into these messy places of life, you will come when you are invited. You were born there, Lord. I pray that you would, and, and we don't need to be afraid to invite you in. So in every place, Lord, we invite your light to come. Let it just come into us, come into our homes, come into our relationships, come into our hearts, into our lives. I just pray that we would fully embrace you as best as we can um, as we bring this year to a close. Let, it, let us be positioned for a new gift ahead. I thank you, Lord. I look forward to the days ahead. Fill us with your joy and goodness and life. I pray this, Lord. Bless our closing song. Bless our time of giving as a people. May you be honored in all these things. Let us stay close to you, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.